0: Morning. Hey, I just want to say a special welcome to you as well. If if you're newer to Brookside this morning, I just want to tell you we've got a special gathering just for you after our services today. It's called a 10 minute party and it's just right over here. And uh, it's just a great way for us just to take a couple minutes and we would love to reach you, meet you, and tell you just a little bit about our church in a span of 10 minutes. And so we'd love to have you at that. I also just want to mention to you before we jump in that Friday morning uh, we're starting volume two of our. Our, our men's study called 33. And uh, I was able to go to that first year, uh, session of that in that's six weeks long. And I just gotta tell you guys in the church, if you're not connected in our church or if you have Friday morning at 6 a.m. open, um, I would encourage you, um, be a part of that. It's just a great six-week run. It'll give you a great boost and you'll be... You'll be glad you has there. a great content and just a great way to get connected. So, um, Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to jump back into our series in the book of James. And uh, Tim said it so well last weekend. He said, you know, we're kind of in the final lap of this series. We've been going through James, and today marks the, the eighth uh, week that we've been in this book. And I'm really excited um, for where we're heading and um, what the passage that we're going to look at this morning. I don't know about you, but when I think about this book, I'm I'm thankful for the wisdom and even the direction that it's been able to give us. As you know, probably by now, that the writer of the book of James is James. He's a half-brother of Jesus Christ. And James is one of those guys that he didn't really believe that Jesus was truly the Messiah until after Jesus' resurrection and and, uh, Jesus appeared to him. And then all of a sudden, James was like, okay, all the teachings, who you are, I believe in you. You are my God. And from that point on, James became a leader in the church. James became a leader, a guy that was out front, a guy who said, I want to do everything I can with my one and only life to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And so that's really the heartbeat of the person that is writing this letter to us. If I asked you in one word to summarize this book, I think a lot of you, if you've checked through this book, you would say the word practical. And that's one of the things that I so appreciate about the book of James is when you, you know, when we spend time in it, you know what to do on Monday, right? You know what to do walking out of this place you go, okay, I know how to apply this to my life. It's one of the gifts of this book. You know, when I think about the scriptures, I think one of the greatest blessings that you and I get from this book, the Bible, the best book written, I'm telling you, the message of this book will change your life. But one of the best things about it is this, it doesn't, uh, it not only does it tell us about what life is like after death. one of the great things about the scriptures is this, it tells us how to live. It tells us, like, right now, what does it mean? What does it mean to follow God at work and at home and, and how do I have a life that's oriented around the things that, that, that would lead me to really daily experience life with God? And so it's a, a huge gift to us in that way. So what I want to do this morning, before we look at chapter 5, is I just want us to pray together. Just to say, Lord, we want to come to you with open hearts and open hands and just say, God, would you be our teacher this morning? So if you pray for me and then we'll let you Heavenly Father, I thank you again that we could gather this morning, and I thank you that you've drawn your people to yourself. And um, Lord, we just want to come to you right now and just say, very humbly, God, would you speak to us this morning? We pray that we would hear from directly from you, not from me this morning, but directly from you. And so Lord, I pray for the person that's here this morning. Maybe they come in with a heavy heart, and they, Lord, they need to be encouraged this morning. I pray that you whisper into their heart the things that you want them to hear. that so I pray for the person that this morning... You want to bring conviction. You want to draw them, maybe back to you. Maybe the person that needs to be redirected. Um, I pray that they too would be open to you. Um, I pray for the person that's here this morning and they're exploring. They're wanting to know who is Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? Lord, I pray that that would be clear. I pray the gospel would be clear this morning. And so Lord, we love you. And we pray now that you would speak directly to us. And so even right now, church, would you just have... a conversation with the Lord. Maybe it's a one-sentence prayer. You just say right now, Lord, I've come. Would you speak to me now? So go ahead and do that on your own. Well, I thank you that every time we pray a prayer like that, Lord, you respond to that. And, And that is nothing short of your goodness and your grace to us. And so, Father, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we zoom into chapter 5, I actually want you to, to think a little bit bigger picture for a little bit here. If you were to ask me or to go up to somebody in, in our church to follow Jesus Christ and you were to say to them, hey, help me understand the Bible. Uh, even if you, you pushed us a little bit further and you said, if you were to break the Bible down into just three categories to cover to cover, what would you say that the Bible is about? These are three ways that you might break the scriptures down. First. The Bible, we see this over and over. The Bible tells us, category one, who is God? So when you open up this book and you begin to read it, you're going to find out, okay, what is the nature of God? How is God holy? How is God just full of justice and, and, and mercy? And, and what is God's power like? And what's his presence like? You're going to find out things about God. The second category, again, if you were to break the Bible down, is just three categories. The second category that you might use is this. How does he redeemed? So, how does God, who's holy, who's perfect, who's, who's the one that we bow down to, how does He relate to people like you and me, who frankly mess up, at least in my front, who frankly mess up quite a bit? How does God look at a people like us, and how does He relate to us? How does He allow us to know Him? And I don't just mean heaven when we die. I mean, how do we know God? How can we know him right now and for all of eternity? That's the gospel. How does, how does God reveal himself to us? It's, it's amazing. From start to finish, we see the story of redemption. And then the third category I think that we could look at is this, is that we could say, okay, in light of who God is, how do we live? So if I'm redeemed, so who is God? Um, and then, question number two: How does He redeem And And the third question: How do the redeemed live? So, how do you steward your life? How do I steward my life? What do I do with my time, my treasures, my talents? How, how do I take the things that the blessings that have come my way, and how, as a result of who God is, and as a result of the gospel, I am invited to live with Him? How then do I respond? How do I live? It's no surprise that in the very practical nature of this book of James, that James is going to address in chapter 5 this last court, this last category. How do the redeemed, how do those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how do they live, how do we steward the blessings of God? Let me ask you this question, and I, I think you'll be able to relate to this. When you were a kid, particularly, and maybe that wasn't when you were a kid, maybe this was just like last week for you. Did you ever say this to yourself or to someone else? Someday, someday I want to be rich.
1: Did you ever say that? It's okay
0: if you did. It's okay. Did you ever say that? Maybe it's because of the way you grew up. Maybe you experienced a lot when you grew up and you said, I like this. I want to keep this going. You ever have that happen though? Where you get to go to somebody who won the lottery and you go, huh, yeah, someday, someday I want to be rich. Or maybe you grew up poor and maybe you looked around and and for you, you look around the place that you live and you said, I want it to be different. For you, maybe it wasn't that. It was the opposite, though. I and mean, when you drove in the car, it always smelled new and really nice. Or maybe for you, no, no, the car didn't smell nice and new. Actually, the heater was broken. It was cold in the winter. And that thing often left us stranded. And because of that, you say, you know what? Someday I just want to be rich. I want to have something different. Or maybe you watched a pair really struggle. And they worked their tail off to provide goods. You watched them struggle. And so you said to yourself, you know, one day if I can, not only do I want things to be different for me, but I want it to be different for them. And so you had that longing in your heart. Or maybe this is your situation. You saw somebody growing up, and this was a gift to you. You saw someone who was so generous. You saw some whether they had a lot or a little, you saw them just continually giving away things to other people, and they had this generous spirit, and you watched people get blessed as they kind of went off their life, and you said to yourself, one day, I want to be like that. Well, one day I want to be in that kind of a position. You know, regardless of how you and I assess our current reality, which gets a little tricky, by the way, and we'll talk more about that. One of the greatest challenges and opportunities that Christians face how do we steward the blessings of God? If you're really not a Christian, you're going to get some insight into in, today into, okay, how are Christians supposed to think about all the things that we've received? And I don't put this whole topic in that, in that whole category of one of the greatest challenges and opportunities for us to get our brains around because of the words of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said things like this. He said, hey, everybody, Christians, how do you handle your stuff? says a whole lot about your heart, and your heart says a whole lot about your relationship with me. And so this topic is so important, and so we're going to ask some questions this morning like these. How do we live, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in a country of excess? How do we live in such a way that we responsibly handle the blessings that God has given to us? Another question, how do we live in such a way that the smile of God is on how we think about and how we handle the resources that we have? This is one of those topics that if you don't get your hands around this one, it'll get its hands around you. You know what I mean? It's that important. And so what we're going to see today in today's text is you're going to see James writing to this group of people who were rich. And that's not the problem. The problem is what they're doing with their riches. Commentator Put it this way. I was telling group this morning. These are the harshest rhetoric, the harshest words that James spoke in the entire book of James. When we get to chapter 5, these six verses we'll look at this morning, they were the harshest words that he spoke in the entire book. And the reason why James brings the heat, and he does that in this book, and he surely does it in chapter 5. And he doesn't do it to harm. He does it to lead. But the reason why he does it in, in this particular chapter, and the reason why he comes across so strongly is because he sees these people, he sees these rich landowners, and they're abusing these poor Christians. He sees a group of people that have a lot, but they're not using their wealth in the right ways. They're actually exploiting the poor. And so let me just tell you this as well, though, on the front end. You aren't going to hear James say that money is bad. You're not going to hear that. You can think of money actually, it's kind of like fire. Imagine it's a cold winter night, and you have a fire in, in your house, in your fireplace. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's nice, it keeps you warm. But imagine if you take that fire out of the fireplace, and you just put it in the living room. What will it do? It'll burn your house down. Be do a little wind, and that house on fire will not burn the other houses in the neighborhood. James, you know what he's doing? He's addressing this group of people that their whole neighborhood is on fire. They misuse something that is just fine. So here we go. Look at me at verse 1, chapter 5. James writes this. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now, things, here's what's happening. Things seem abundant now to this group of people. But what he's saying is, hey, I want you to know it's not going to be that way for long. Things look really shiny. They look really nice. And you have abundance. But he's saying, but because of the way that you're handling your abundance, there's this thing called condemnation, the judgment of God that's coming on you. Now, throughout this book, we've heard James address the crowd, you know, in several different ways. Oftentimes, he gets to a new, new topic, and he says this, My dear brothers and sisters. And then you read a little bit further, and he goes, My brothers and sisters. And then you go a little bit further, and he goes, My dear brothers and sisters. And he's oftentimes, he's writing to Christians. He's not here. And James knows this, whether it's in his own church, or whether it's, he knows that the people are going to, going to be reading it, he knows that in the mix, there's also people that might say, "Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus," but he knows that the heart level, they're not. And so he's writing to them in this, in, in this particular, in these verses. And what he's saying to them, very real, is this: Hey, the judgment of God is coming upon you, and, and you and I wouldn't want it any other way. We want to worship a just God. Category one: Who is God? Right? He's just. And so James is writing very strongly to this group of people that haven't surrendered their lives to God, and it's coming out by the way of the handler's stuff. Verse 2. He says, Your wealth, your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. In other words, he's saying, you have so much, and you've held it so tightly, and you've said, it's all about me, I'm just going to build my little empire. And he's saying this, your greed is leading you to your eternal damnation. nation. And she came to church today, and you were like, man, I really hope that I'll be uplifted by the Lord, sir. I just want you to know, James is not bringing that today, I'm sorry. He's got a harsh word, doesn't he? We have to ask this question. Who is James talking to? In this chapter, who is he talking to with such directness, with such boldness, with such passion? Again, not to heart. He's talking to them because he wants to lead. You know, when you look at the scriptures, this topic of wealth, I think it's really important that we think not just rich and poor. Don't think two categories. Because we see this throughout the scriptures. I like, listened to a pastor break this down actually into like four categories. I thought it was so helpful. When you read through the scriptures, what we find is there's four categories. You see godly poor and you see godly rich. You see ungodly poor but you also see ungodly rich. So, first category. Let's look at these really quickly. Godly poor. Think about this for a second. Who's in this category on on the biblical front? This would be Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Jesus' family. This would be a woman named Ruth in the Old Testament. She was godly but she was also very poor. This would be the widows in the scriptures. This would be the widow that's described in Mark chapter 12. This would be the orphans. This would be the person in our day and age. This would be the single parent that they're submitted to the ways of Jesus Christ and they're doing everything they can to provide. They're busting their tail so that they can provide for their children. This would be the person. Maybe you even grew up in this kind of a home. You grew up in a poor home, but you had incredibly godly parents. And so while they didn't have a lot to give, even though they didn't have a lot to give, they were very generous people. They had a generous spirit because they were were godly. That trumped their being poor. Group number two is this that we see in the scriptures. We see the godly rich. They're afflicted by affluence. These are godly people, but they have a lot of resources. For whatever reason, God has entrusted them with a whole lot, not because they deserve to, to steward a lot, but because God has entrusted them with a lot. We see this in, in people like Abraham and Joseph and David and Job. We see this in Old Testament kings like Josiah. In the New Testament, John chapter 19, this guy is referred to as Joseph of Arimathea. What did he do? He gave Jesus a rich man's tomb. We see this in this woman named Lydia in the New Testament. She funded a lot of the ministry that we see. These are godly people that have a lot, but there are also godly people who, who don't have a lot. Category three, the ungodly poor. We see these people in the Bible. Proverbs talks about them very directly. They won't work. They could, but they won't work. They don't produce. The Bible refers to them oftentimes as sluggards. Their ways are the ways of poverty. Oftentimes the things that they get, they, they blow. They spend foolishly. They could produce with the gifts that God's given them, but they choose not to. They choose just to receive, and then oftentimes blow up the things that they have been given. Group four, we see this group that you could say they're the ungodly rich. These are the Herods and the Pharaohs, some of the godless political leaders, uh, the rich young ruler in the New Testament, uh, people that have a lot of resources, but they're not using those resources in such a way that they benefit others, or Those resources are the thing that they cling to the very, very most. That's where their hope is. They have a lot, but they're not using their lot for the purposes of God. Let me ask, in which category would you put yourself? Godly poor, godly rich. Ungodly poor, ungodly rich. And I think we have to be careful, honestly, how we classify ourselves Don't necessarily compare yourself to those around you or those you work with or people in your neighborhood or those you report to. Think, if you're going to compare yourself, really, living where we live, you have to compare yourself to people all around the globe. And you know the statistics on this. Even the the poorest person among us or even the poorest person in our city would likely still rank in the top 5% of income earners across the globe. I mean, think about that. Think about the era in which we live. Think about all the things that we enjoy. Imagine, just for a second, if, if the people that James was, was writing to in the first century, imagine if they came over to your house. Imagine if one of them walked in and they were in your kitchen, and they were like, hey, what's that big rectangular thing right there? You'd be like, oh, it's a refrigerator. That's where we keep the food that we want to keep cold so that it doesn't spoil. It's extra food, and we haven't gotten around to eating yet. Oh, okay. Well, what are those, those boxes? Where are all those things that are hanging off the walls? Oh, those are cabinets where we keep containers to hold more extra food. And, and we also keep a lot of extra food that we get from the store. Oh, store. Yeah, the store is a cool place you should come the store is this place where semis back up to the back of the store, and we pull food off on pallets. There's so much food. And there's even some stores that you can go to. You don't even push a little cart around. You, you get so much food there in such big quantities. If you pull this thing around, it's almost like a flatbed truck, and you just walk it around. You know what Right? I mean, that, oh, hey, what's, what's that curvy thing? Oh, it's a faucet. Yeah, a faucet. That's where we get our water. It's pretty cool. Just flip that little thing and out of it will come. Is it clean? Oh yeah, not polluted. Neither. No, it's not polluted. We actually have this thing called soft water. Um, we have this thing in our basement. And, oh, don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. It's drink and it. You'll like it. If you, if you get the drift, Nothing wrong with any of those things. But I think sometimes we have to go, wow, Lord, I live in a modern era, and Lord, you have given us so much. You've been so incredibly good to us. James says to the oh, young grace, he says this, He says, look, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. You ever seen one of those reality shows where they're focusing in on someone who's a hoarder? And when you watch those shows, it's really sad because that person, they're clinging to their stuff. I mean, it's so important. And it's very obvious that their hope is in their stuff, what they have. James is not talking in this passage about responsible savings. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about the person that says, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need newer, I need better, and it never ends for them. They just keep going, trying to build their own little empire, but the needs of other people and the purposes of God are never entering into their mind. That's who he's talking to. And the reason that he talks so strong is because he knows that their heart is the core issue. Look with me at verse 4. He says this. Not only are they hoarding, but the way that they've attained their wealth has been corrupt. Verse 4. He says, look. And if, if you're trying to, to kind of speculate, is James in a good mood? No. No. He is so upset. Look. The wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. They were likely, uh, in this context, they were likely day workers, which meant this. You had these people that would go to work for the day, get paid for the day, day's work, and then they would go home. So they show up. If you work, you get paid. If you don't work, you don't get paid. On the way home, then, after you got paid, you'd stop by the market so that you could feed your family that night. Now, imagine this. Imagine you get home, though, and you have to say to your wife and to your kids, Hey, I worked today, but I didn't get paid. I made a profit for the company today, but the boss decided at the end of the day, I'm not going to pay you. This is the Roman empire. And so if you didn't own land, what happened to you is you didn't have a vote. So it wasn't as though you could say, so tomorrow I'm gonna sue my boss. No, you didn't have a right to sue your boss, number one, you didn't have a vote, nor did you have the means to sue your boss. So can you see how the abuse of power is coming over these people? the scripture says is this, with no one else to cry to, who did they cry to? They cried out to the Lord Almighty, and the Lord is hearing their cry. Category one, again, we have a God of justice, a God that looks out for the poor. Verse five, you, he said, are you ungodly rich in that category, you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. In other words, it's been all, it's been all about you, do you remember what James said to us in chapter 1, verse 27? He said, this is religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. It is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to see the unforgotten, to remember all people matter to God. Matthew 25, Jesus said this, he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you have done for me. So keep your eyes on the marginalized. Care about the kid in the foster system. Care about the prisoner. Care about the orphan. Care about the foreigner among you. And then he says this. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. See, I told you this wasn't a fluffy message, right? You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. He's so graphic. I remember years ago when our kids were young. At the time I was a youth pastor here and I remember around graduation time, we would get invited to, so, you know, all these kids would graduate East Main ministry. So you'd get invited to a lot of graduation parties, and you could even have maybe eight to ten of them in one Sunday afternoon, right at the peak of the season. And so I remember there were times where we'd drive our little kids to these, and, and we get to party one, and, the, you know, the kids would see the food banquet, and they'd see those strawberries, and two-tone chocolate, you know, and, and they'd be like, ooh, can I have three, sure, you know, and, and, and then they'll you'd get the house number two, and they were still full from house number one. And they'd say, "Oh, but it's here. It's all in that yet." And they'd want to fill another plate. But by the time we got to house number eight, like they had it on their face still, and some on their shirt. But they still they looked at the food and they said, "Oh, can we have?" It? But in my mind, and we would say to them, "If you eat any more, you're going to get sick." James is looking at these people, and he's saying this you've hoarded, you've taken, you've never said no, and he's saying, I want you to know now you've fattened yourself with a day of slaughter. Judgment is upon you. Speaking so strongly to them. Look with me at verse 6. He says, you have condemned and you have murdered the innocent one who was not up- opposing you. You took advantage of the one who didn't have a vote. It worked for you, but you decided not to pay them. They took all of their wealth and they said, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. It makes total sense that James ties their ungodly greed right back to the reality of their eternal judgment. Because Jesus made this so clear. Jesus said, hey, what you and what I do with the things, that the blessings that come my way. Jesus said, hey, this is why James speaks so powerfully on this. Because he knew how you handle your wealth says a whole lot about your heart. And your heart says a whole lot about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's more important than your wealth. So James is afraid to say strong things. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6 speaking on the same thing. Speaking to a bigger crowd. Jesus said hey, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin hit they don't destroy, and where thieves do not break in the seal. and then he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, where, where your treasure is, like, what do you put your hope in, what do you put your trust in, that's the very thing that marks your heart, and that's why Jesus said, hey, it's so important, think about your stuff, it's okay to analyze it, because it's going to tell you where your heart is this group that James is writing to wasn't responsibly saving again for the future. That's not what's happening here. Is it responsible for you to plan for the future? Answer, yes. Proverbs chapter 13, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But that's not what's happening here. These people are stockpiling to the degree that it was evident. My hope is in this stuff. My estate planning is trumping the purposes of God. It's more important than anything around me. This is how I want us to think about it and even respond to this topic. I want to to direct you now to two words. And, and, And in church, these two words I think are so important on this whole topic. and so helpful. The first word is this. It's the word owner. The second word is the word steward. Let's talk about the first word. The first word, owner. This was the root problem of those that James is talking to. The ungodly rich they're living with this mindset. I'm an owner. An owner lives with the mindset that says this, I'm in charge of me. I don't report to anyone. I'm in charge of me. And the reason I have all that I have is because I worked so hard. I worked him or her. That's why I am where I am. And I'm in charge of me. At the end of my days, I don't report to God. The owner says, I report to me. And all the good that's behind me, all the things that I have, that's because of my own brains and my own intelligence, my own abilities. And the trouble that comes my way, that's just bad luck. And I'll get through that too. Because can't you see all the things that I already got through depending on myself? The owner says this, I'm on top. I'm the king of the hill. And what I have is mine and what you have might become mine as well. The owner says this, I'm entitled I report to myself. I'm responsible to me. The blessings in my life are because of my hard work. I'm an owner. The Bible has another category. It's the steward. It's the steward mindset. And I don't know about you, but I'm not very, I'm not very good at leading myself. When Jesus Christ is leading me, life is much better. The steward says this. The steward says, I am not my own. I'm not 1 Corinthians 6.20, I was bought with the Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 6, I was called to belong to Jesus Christ. When I was 19 years old, it was not my idea to find Jesus Christ. It was the mercy of God that drew me to himself. And I remember that shift in my mind going from life's about me to, whoa, life can't be about me. Because my worldview is now, I don't belong to me. I belong to God. I was actually purchased at a very high price. I don't belong to me. I'm God's. That's very different. I was talking to a lady just yesterday. She said, I'm praying. I've got two kids that still don't know Jesus Christ. And then she made a statement. It's kind of a summary statement. She said, I want to know Jesus Christ. And then she said, because once they come to know Christ, everything will change for them. It it's a great statement because it's true, isn't it? When you realize, I'm a steward. I don't belong to myself. I belong. Like, he's in charge. I belong to God. The steward says this. The steward says, the good that I experience is a gift from God. Deuteronomy 18 says this. Remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, it's all his. So the question isn't, okay, how much then do I give to the Lord? The question is this. How much of the Lord's 100% that he gave me? How much do I How much do I give? How much do I choose to keep? Because if, if everything I have, 100%, is from the Lord, it's all his, that changes everything. So your gifts and your talents, if you're a steward, and your abilities. Some of you, you have the ability to make things. That's a gift from God. Some of you, you walk into a room and you have the ability to influence people and to lead. That's a gift from God. Some of you, you have the ability to see someone that's hurting, and like nobody else in the room, you can walk up to them because of God, the discernment that he's put in you, and you know exactly what to say, and after you say it, the person goes, I'm so glad I ran into you today. But that's a gift from God. Some, some of you, you think strategically, more than anybody else in the room, that's a gift from God, and the steward says this, I am not my own. And so all these gifts that God has given me, they're tools in order to bring my God honor. I have a friend, and he recently told me this. He in his job he distributes some of the company's earnings as part of his job. And he said to me, He said, I find myself acting um, very careful when I'm spending someone else's money. You know what that is? That's the mind of a steward. The steward also says this, the steward says, I I want to live grateful. Psalm 107. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Again, because if everything comes from the Lord, I, I want to live in such a way that I say, God, thank you. You know, there are different seasons that I go through in my life where I kind of get the funk sometimes and, 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 you know, kind of up and down. And, and Christina said to me one time, she goes, You know what I've been doing? She said, On my phone, I just have this thing called a gratitude list. And she said it's so helpful for me because it just reminds me of all the things that, that God has just, just so graciously given to me. And so, if this would be helpful to you, just jot this down. Put this in the, the title of the document. What is Jesus Christ giving me? And just list it out. He's giving me family. Wow, that's a blessing. If you have a friend, that's a blessing from God. If you have food to me, you're listening to me right now. I means God needs you ears. Think about that. You're here. You're clothed. Great, we're all close, right? right. All the blessings that God has given us, they are from him. We don't deserve them, but he's graciously given them to us. Psalm 29 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. In other words, those that are stewards often look at the giver and they say, time out. also says this. The steward says, I don't live generously. Have you given me this one and only life? And, and so, God, I want to be the kind of person that if you're in charge of me, then, Lord, if you say to me, hey, tell other people about me, then I say, okay. Because again, I, I didn't deserve to know you, but God, you revealed yourself to me. So, okay. So, God, you say to me, hey, help the person that's hurting. Okay, I can do that. Because there's been plenty of times, Lord, where, where I was hurting, and you can't even fill that gap for me. Oh, hey, hey, why don't you actually engage the person that everybody else is just fed up with? Okay, I can do that, because surely, Lord, there are times when you're just kind of sick of my own attitude. but yeah, Lord, you continue just to engage me and love me, and so the, the, the person with the stewardship mindset says this, Lord, you, I have received much from you, so, Lord, I want to give much to you, and I want to live for you. Let I me mean, ask you, have you ever been blessed by someone who had this kind of a, a generous spirit? They had like a, a, just a stewardship mindset, a steward mindset. Have you ever been blessed like that by, by a person like that? I remember when Christine and I and we, we were in our first house, and, and I thought it would be a good idea, we thought it would be a good idea to paint the house. And we kind of decided to do kind of on a whim, which you never wanted to do that, you know? And so I remember we went to the store and we got cheap paint. This was a great idea, you know? And so we were the entire exterior of the house. And so we picked out the color very quickly and got home and it was a small house. And so I got out the roller and the paint and like two five-gallon buckets of paint. And I remember I started painting that thing and, and small house so we, you know, we were making pretty good time on it. And uh, I noticed, though, when I first got the color up there, I was like, ooh, that's that's ugly. Like, really <laughs> ugly and, but I thought to myself, maybe it'll look better when there's more of it. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? And so we painted, painted the whole house. And I was shocked. And I remember one of the neighbors came over to me later and he said, man, that first photo that you painted the house, he said, I didn't want to tell you, but I didn't want to look at that every day. I was like, well, thanks a lot, you know? And, and so here's the deal, though. We, when we stood back and we looked at it, I knew I was in trouble because we were that house. You know that house on the the block? If you don't, you might might live in that house. (laughs) Anyway, so I called my painter friend who I was too cheap to pay in the first place, and I said, hey, I need some help. Our house is really ugly right now. Can you come over? I've got five gallons of paint I'd like to use. Can you bring some color, a different color? Can we mix it together and create something better, you know? And so he's a painter, so he came over, and, and what amazed me was he didn't just show up by himself, and so his man pulled up, and then he had another man behind him, and out comes his entire crew, and so he gives in the grass, and we're mixing the paint, and he makes it look better, it's a much for option, and all of a sudden what I realized was, oh, he's not just going to help me, this entire crew is going to help me, so they got these spray guns and the whole thing, and in a matter of hours, they completely Changed the color of the house. And he said to me, as Christina and I just stood back in awe and so grateful, just shocked from trying to paint it ourselves. He said this: He said, I'm just distributing what God has given me. I'm just a steward. God being this crew. that puts you in my life. And I'm just, I'm just a steward. See, generosity flows from the steward's mindset. If your chief end in life is to build your own empire, then you should be an owner. You should be owner. That's the smartest thing for you to do. But if your chief end in life is to bring glory and honor to your God, who's been so gracious to you and I, then we have to adopt this mindset that we say, I don't own anything. It's all a gift from God. When I get in my truck to drive home and when I pull into our driveway, that's not my vehicle. That's not my house. I have to look at it differently. It's been so good for my heart to study this passage this week. I have to look at my stuff. Not have to even. I get to. I get to look at my stuff and say, God, you have been so good to me. Lord, how can I use the things that you've given me to be a blessing to the people around me? It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The question Is are you godly and you're a steward or are you ungodly and your mindset is you are an owner. The last thing that I want to leave you with is this. I want us to be motivated by the generosity of God. You know, when you think about the scriptures and you think about the verses that explain the gospel, like the the simplest ones, ones that you maybe even have memorized, The verses in the scriptures that really paint the picture. Okay, what does it mean? How can we truly know Jesus Christ? Listen to the generosity of God. This should be the thing that motivates us the most. Here it is. A very simple word. For God so loved... Look at the generosity there. That's generosity, love. For God so loved the world, the entire thing. That's generous. That he gave... That's more generosity. His one and only Son generosity, so that whoever would believe in him, whoever, so those that kind of, like, they're flying straight live a pretty clean life, and then those that are completely taking it, he died for both there's just alike. For God so loved the world that he gave this one only so that whosoever would believe in him might have eternal life. Think about that. That's the generosity of God. The generosity of God is this. It's you and I are on the forefront. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. He says that God is for you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. And this is beautiful. He is relentless. He's relentless after you. If you've been giving God the hand with your life, know this. You're not here by mistake. God knows who you are. He longs to draw you back to himself. That's the generosity of God. And the steward says, God, you've been generous to me. And so God, help me not to be an owner that just walks around and says, this is mine, this is mine. I'm doing this for being home. Stuart says, "Okay, God, have you gave me this gift? And I'm going to bust it because I am representing you. And I'm going to give everything that I've got to the causes that you put before me. But I'm doing it not to make a name for myself. I'm doing it because, God, you've been so good to me. And so how can I make you great? How can I make your name great? And so I want to pray for us now. Let's just pray this hill. Let's pray, without an ounce of guilt here. Let's pray that the generosity of God would cause you and I to say, Lord, I need to be the best student that I possibly can. Let's pray that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words of James. They're oftentimes hard to hear because they're so strong. But yet, Lord, in the same way he wrote, we hear the echoes of Jesus Christ and we know that you long, Lord, not to harm us, but you long to lead us. So, Lord, we want to pray this morning that we would be the best stewards for it. God, we pray that as followers of Jesus Christ, God, we didn't deserve mercy. We didn't deserve forgiveness. We didn't deserve when we were walking away from you for you to draw us back to yourself. But, God, you did, and that's your grace. So, God, we say thank you. And what might your generosity, and nothing else, might your generosity motivate us to be the best spiritual? Lord, I think of the person here who's never received the generosity of God at the core level, and that being Jesus Christ. If that's you today, would you call out to him right now, and would you say this, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? And today, because of Jesus Christ, I receive you, which means I receive eternal life, which means I am in relationship with my God, both now and forevermore. Lord, we love you, and we pray, Lord, now as Hannah leads us, that the words of this song would remind us of who we are, and we might battle well up with him we We pray this in Christ's name.